welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeroo. Welcome back to the Health Tech Podcast. The astute among you will realise that I am not Dr. James Summeroo. My name is Jessica Smith and I am James's co-founder over on the other side at SOMEX. He has rather rudely gone on holiday this week and left it to me to bring you this throwback episode. It's also taken me 335 episodes to make my debut on this podcast. So let's get into it. But before we do, I just wanted to remind you all that our very, very first Health Tech Podcast live event is coming up really soon on the 29th of February. We've just announced our two incredible speakers who I'm so excited about, Dr. Helen O'Neill, who, as I'm sure all of you know, is CEO and founder of the incredible Hertility, and also Dr. Karan Rajan, who is a surgeon, number one times best-selling author, and also social media influencer with a huge 8 million followers, busting health myths. So it's going to be hosted at the BFI, iconic venue. For the Health Tech Pigeon listeners, crossover for you there. Obviously, you know, the South Bank in London is the homeland of pigeons. So looking forward to seeing you all there. But make sure you come along. It's the 29th of February. As I say, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. Seats are very, very limited, but we would love to see loads of you there. There is a sneaky discount code in the information at the bottom of the podcast. Make sure you sign up and you get your discount. That'll also be an amazing goodie bag that I know James is very excited about. There are lots of boxes around the office at the moment with the contents of what will be in your amazing goodie bags. So don't miss out purely for that alone. If you want some fancy merch, also modelled to my right, I don't know my left or my right, but if you're on YouTube, you can see this video to my right, Health Tech Podcast Cap. You heard it here first. You might get one of those. Can't wait to see some of you there and hang out IRL. The podcast today is a throwback from episode 311 from July last year in the summer, where James spoke to Dom Rabin, who is CEO and co-founder of Exploro, which is a digital therapeutics program that uses AR, AI and games to help reduce anxiety for children and young people in hospital as they go through various different procedures. Dom has a really impressive history of building and scaling super successful design and software agencies, which is what he spent his time doing before he founded Explorer. But in this throwback episode, he talks about his deeply personal experience that led up to him creating and launching Explorer. And that was when in 2011, his 13-year-old daughter was diagnosed with sarcoma. There is a happy ending to the story. She's now 25 and thriving. But as it happens, that happy ending was really the origin story and the inspiration for where Exploro came from. And I really loved hearing his deeply personal story and how that period in his life really shaped Exploro and his vision, his purpose and his intention for that company and what it set out to achieve. Have a listen and I'll see you on the other side. 
I've certainly been around the block a few times. Um, I started my first agency, 1991 was my first agency. That then led to um, managing two or three agencies after that. The Explorer story is really nothing nothing to do with that. Well, I suppose it has something to do with that agency experience in that, in the, you know, I've spent many years in design and software development, um, primarily doing that for, for other people in the agency model. Um, but Explorer comes about through, through personal experience. So um, back in 2011, uh, my daughter, who was 13 at the time, uh, was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, which is, uh, I mean, no cancer is great, but it's a particularly aggressive and dangerous, dangerous cancer. I have to say she's 20, coming up to, let me get this right, 25 now um, and and doing really good so um but she when she was diagnosed she went through as i'm sure you can imagine a pretty horrendous year of treatment she was Mm. treated at six different hospitals in total um the nhs paid for us as a family of four to go and live in florida for 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 10 weeks and and that wasn't a holiday that was Mm. um, proton beam therapy you know the net effect of all of that Treatment was that she came out with a you know a good prognosis, but um, what was missing from her treatment was information. So she had no information about the people she'd meet, you know, coming into a hospital or any healthcare setting. Really confusing. So many different roles. You've got no idea who everyone is. No one explained that to her. Um, she had no information about the environment she was coming into before she went into them. So you know, every time she went into a hospital setting, really scary. And then no information about any of the technologies that were being used to treat her. So, you know, a case in point was one day I remember them wheeling over a big machine to her bedside and plugging her in without telling her what it would, what what they were doing. And they were attempting to do a stem cell harvest. And, you know, that, that failed because she was non-compliant and she was non-compliant because she didn't know what was going on. And so when she came out of treatment, I got really interested in the idea that providing patients with information could be a bona fide therapy in and of itself. And I started doing lots of desk-based research, trawling through Google Scholar uh, to see how much evidence there was around this. And I discovered that there's lots and lots of evidence, common sense, but it says provide patients with information prior to an intervention, experience reduced anxiety, and that can lead to better clinical outcomes. So, So kind of armed with that thought, I started to think about what an intervention might look like. Um, and I suppose this is where my agency background and my interest in design kicked in because we devoted some agency downtime to exploring this idea. And the first thing we did was invite some school children in on week-long placements. And we gave them the brief of what might you create if uh, if you were trying to help children going into an unfamiliar hospital setting what would you what would what would you design what would you build uh, these were kids of aged about 14 15 doing their i think it's year 10 work experience and uh, to a t they all came up with game ideas and actually one of those game ideas is in explorer today um they all came up with game ideas and so we 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 knew that whatever we did was going to be um involve games or gamification in 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 some way shape or form um so this was 2016 i think and um at the, round about the same time i had a chance meeting with 
the clinical director at uh, the UK's biggest children's hospital, Royal Manchester, um, a guy called Dr. Peter Mark Fortune. I shared our ideas about what we were doing with, with Peter Mark and he was really enthusiastic. And with his help, we actually managed... Uh, in, in my fundraising journey, this is... Although it's a tiny amount of money, this is one of the things I'm proudest about. We actually managed to get some money out of the NHS to do some initial prototyping. Mm. Really small amount of money, uh, 20K. Um, and a UX research agency that I was working with at the time, um, a group called Sutherland Labs, um, also gave us 25K's worth of uh, user research time. So we, with, with our, our minimal amount of money, we built some really basic prototypes and took them into, into Royal Manchester and just tested the idea that a combination of games, 3D models, augmented reality 3D models could could help children engage with their healthcare journey. And the results of that were phenomenal. You know, we, we, we discovered that there was a real gap um, and we were filling that gap. Children were, 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 were kind of lapping this information up and really, really engaging with these very basic prototypes that we built. So, so that's really kind of the origin story. And, you know, I can go on and talk more about what happened after that. But, uh, yeah, that's how, how Explorer came about. Awesome. It's a funny one, isn't it? That I've talked about this recently. We had, we did an event at, uh, we did an event at Google about AI and imaging recently. And I had this sort of moment on stage when the, when the speakers were talking about, I sort of had this idea crystallized that I think in healthcare, there are two well at least two there are many but there are when it comes to technology and adoption there are two different frontiers that as entrepreneurs we're all trying to change in some way we're all trying to push these two frontiers forward in some way i think one of them is a technology frontier what is actually possible with the technology and that is pushed forwards by those that are exploring or developing large language models, MedPalm 2 at Google, like that kind of technology frontier and pushing what's genuinely possible. I think lagging way behind that is an adoption frontier about what is actually doable, possible and acceptable within a healthcare environment. And that is not dependent on the technology frontier because everything between that frontier and the technology frontier could be adopted, but isn't for some reason. And I think there are plenty of companies working on that adoption frontier because I think what moves that adoption frontier forwards is patient education, workforce education, like digital literacy stuff, it's infrastructure change, putting Wi-Fi in all the hospitals that actually works. Uh, there's all of these things that contribute. I haven't fully got that list yet because I'm still sort of working on this in my head. But like, I think there's a big list of things like problems that need to be solved to push that adoption frontier. And whilst you've got people working on like quantum computing and all these exciting technologies and pushing what's actually possible forwards, simultaneously, 
you've got a heck of a lot of people trying to push the adoption frontier forwards. And my hypothesis is that actually within healthcare, I think so much more needs to be done to push that adoption frontier forwards. But it's a question of business model. It's a question of how do you actually make that worth people's time, worth an entrepreneur's time? Because the unit economics of building a tech company in a SaaS platform are glorious. 90% margins, massive raise, massive exit, bought by Google or Facebook, whatever, and you're away. Whereas actually this side of things is a lot more hard graft. And especially, I think, more relatable to someone that's got a story like yours, a personal connection to this that can actually see and feel where that change is going to make a difference. But but interestingly, probably your agency background and bootstrapping as well. You're probably like, you're probably quite au fait with actually building a business that just works and actually is profitable and does like it's the tortoise versus the hare type thing of like those tortoise businesses that are just small and do a job and stay profitable that gain momentum over time. That's probably, I know, again, I'm hypothesizing, but that's probably, you know, more relatable to someone like you than someone that wants to just build a tech company and exit, right? Which I'm not convinced is like where we need to be in healthcare right now. So I don't don't know how you feel about that. I I don't know if, I don't know if that's relatable. Yeah. So I I, I think, you know, yeah, I agree, agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I think the, the, the key thing is, you know, we didn't start with a technology and think, how can this be applied? Yeah. We started with a need. And the need was patients need better education about their healthcare journey. Mm. Mm. So we were agnostic, completely agnostic about the technology that we were going to build. I didn't, I didn't get into this thinking, hey, how can I use augmented reality in games and artificial intelligence in healthcare? Oh, I know. I'll wrap it around patient education. Mm. That is not how we approach this at all. We approached it by thinking, let's talk to patients, let's talk to clinicians, let's find out what the gaps in service are. Mm. When we've identified those gaps, let's think about how the end users, the patients are best going to in- engage with whatever whatever we build. And it could have been, you know, we might have done some research that said, and I don't believe this, but we might have done some research that said a leaflet would would be the would be the best uh, would be the best uh, best way of delivering education to patients. And obviously, our research mm. didn't find that. Our mm. research found that kids love playing games. Mm. So it's not you know for me, it's never it's never about the technology. It's never mm. about pushing a technology. It's about it's about serving a need. Mm. And actually, and, and I guess, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. And I think, I, th- I think that's what you, you've done very well. I think you are moving the adoption frontier forwards by educating patients. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter what technology does that. It just so happens that augmented reality can do it. It just so happens that you can do all these different things that, that will do that. But ultimately, it's knowing that actually the low-hanging fruit here is the fact that the patients aren't educated about their condition, their journey, their path through the system. And by correcting that, you're going to make a big leap forwards in then what's possible. And you can lay a technology on technology on top of that, right? You could, but ultimately technology's not going to sit on top of a system where the patients aren't educated about their journey. And this is the point I'm trying to make. And, and actually similar to the, to the workforce as well, like, if the workforce aren't educated about the value of augmented reality, then augmented reality is not going to sit on there. And so if nobody's educated on the value of it, nobody's going to get buy-in and therefore adoption's not going to happen. And this is true, like human factor stuff and human centered design stuff that you, I, mean, I know that you know about. And like, it's the, 
it's this that I think people are missing right now. And I think, well, not missing. I think there's there's less people that are working on that or aware of it, I think. And that that's sort of where I'm getting to. Like, I, I know that the computer science is exciting. I know that the engineering is exciting. But there are these fundamental issues that need to be solved, like patient education and like workforce education and digital literacy and just getting Wi-Fi that works in order to support the fun, exciting technologies that everyone's talking about that have that unit economics, that have everything in the big eight. Like it, it, for me, it is these infrastructure changes right now and moving this adoption frontier forwards with these types of things. It's interesting the way that you describe it as well, actually. And I want to go into more detail about what it actually is and what it actually does. And I think we can definitely move on to that. But before I do, I, a while ago now, it must have been like three something maybe even longer years ago i got invited to go to finland to look at their healthcare ecosystem it was with a few different people that were writing various bits and bobs at the time like i sort of through the forbes thing like someone asked like so i went there with a load of people that wrote for for different different things but we, we got this like tour around their pediatric hospital and i don't know if you know this bit you're nodding yeah so uh, yeah this pediatric hospital was glorious it was absolutely beautiful it was clean it was so well designed the signage like just um, things that you will appreciate a designer right the signage just you knew where you were going no matter where you are you can't get lost in this place because somewhere in your eye line you can see where you're meant to go like there were there was this massive screen when you walk in and not that i'm sort of evangelizing for tech for the sake of tech or whatever but like there was a big screen on there and this is a, a little touch right they they'd got the kids in this hospital to each draw a fish and yeah. they would draw this fish and it and then they would just upload the fish onto this screen so this enormous screen like like 15 foot high screen absolutely massive there's just these fish that like the kids had drawn which gave them a connection to the hospital and the place and like whenever they would then come in like they would see their fish on the in in this like very weird but cool looking aquarium with all these like wonderfully drawn fish but they could also pick a character they could pick an avatar that would follow them around the hospital uh, with all the different screens in the corridors, their avatar would sort of follow them and come with them and be like a, a companion on their journey. And we talk about companion apps and things for drugs and stuff, but this is more like a, I suppose, literally just like a digital character companion that they had chosen that would accompany them on their journey. And this was all to facilitate, I suppose, a sense of a sense of belonging, a sense of understanding, a sense of connection to the child and their journey. And I thought that was just really you could you could write it off as fluffy and pointless and not utility or what or whatever but like it felt like really positive and on top of that yeah so much of the technology in this hospital i would describe as imperceptible there was so much technology doing so much of a job that you never saw it's not gadgets it's not things it's just it's just there doing a job like it's organizing who goes in what room when just by analyzing the footfall and, and, and who's, who needs a room based on the computer system and blah, blah, blah. Like it's just figuring that out and telling you where to go. And that's not tech that's perceptible. It's not like a thing or a gadget and it's, it's just there working. And so 
all of this is facilitating, I suppose, this like efficiency and uh, I suppose to one point, like the obvious efficiency of like organizing rooms and stuff. But this understand, this patient understanding, this connection to your uh, to your healthcare, because hey, what's going to make a kid less anxious and easier to treat from the clinician side, but having a better experience from the patient side? Well, it's having a character that follows you around. It's drawing a fish that goes another like. Mm. May, may, maybe I am just bought over by the way they presented it to me. I don't know, but I can, I can completely see and understand this stuff. So I think, I think we might have been on the same tour, James. But uh, <laughs> amazing. I, yeah. So uh, I, I, I know the hospital really well, um, and I, but I think unfortunately hospitals like that are few and far between. I'm, mm. I've, I've got to say, I was in uh, Utrecht uh, last week uh, and had the pleasure of visiting. You know, and, and this is it, it, the hospital in Helsinki is 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 incredible. But in, it, last week I visited what I consider to be the absolute epitome of the best hospital experience for children, wow. and it's a hospital called uh, Princess Maxima Centrum. Um, it's a pediatric cons- cancer hospital, dedicated pediatric cancer hospital. Now, the Netherlands only has six hundred kids a year with cancer, but this hospital has been. In fact, I think this month it's celebrating its fifth birthday. Mm. And in its five years since existence, it's managed single-handedly to bring the cancer survival rate up from 75% to 83%. And it's done that through, obviously it's done that through incredible clinical care, but it's done that through providing a really patient-centered experience right. that that has involved patients and parents at every stage of the journey. And it does right. really simple things, you know, some of the things they're doing there. So like they've, for every patient room and every patient gets their own room, there's a, there's a, there's a, an attached parent room. So parents can have privacy in their own bedroom. Wow. But it's attached to the patient room and that parent bedroom they have a rule that clinical staff can't walk in. So the parents have, have this private place. The kids, now I, I don't know, um, I don't know whether list, listeners can imagine if you're having chemotherapy through the night, you've got beeps going on all the time from, mm. from, from the machine that's administering the chemotherapy. So at Princess Maxima, what they've done is a really simple idea. They've put the machine outside of the bedroom and just connected a really long basically a really long hose so it's not always about technology sometimes it's about just these really simple systems thinking ideas Mm. uh, that change the way clinical care is delivered Mm. one of the things that i've really loved they showed me you know they've got a they've they've got a, a playground outside they've got a trampoline for wheelchair users I really hope you enjoyed that episode as much as i did and i just found it so fascinating that for someone who essentially built an entire career around technology and software. That was never the start point with Exploro because Dom identified a genuine need and looked for a solution to it. It just so happened that it was a cool and interesting technology rather than trying to retrofit those kinds of really innovative technologies to a potential need 
that might be out there. The other thing that I really loved hearing about was the hospital that Dom talked about in the Netherlands, the Princess Maxima Centrum, which has been built genuinely with the patient and their experience right at the centre. And I think one of my pet hates is the word patient-centric, patient-centricity, because I think it just loses its meaning. And hearing about a hospital in particular that genuinely does put a patient at the heart of even its very foundations that it's built upon is genuinely really incredible. And, you know, it goes to show that by doing that and changing or creating a more positive experience for people as they go through their care, it can also really transform their outcomes as well. And I mean, it even had a trampoline for wheelchairs. How how incredible is that? And I think that all just gives me so much hope for the future and even excitement for the future of what hospitals could look like. And no one hopes to end up in hospital, but I dare say that when I finally do, as we all do, it is a hospital just like that. Thank you so much for listening and you'll all be pleased to know that James is going to be back with another incredible guest next week. So don't forget to get your ticket for Health Tech Podcast Live and James will be back chatting to you in no time at all. It's been lovely getting to meet you all and see you again very soon. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.